Good morning. Welcome again to Central Church. We're so glad you're here. Well, this week, again, we're going to act kind of like nosy neighbors, peek through the windows, who's exactly is moving into the neighborhood, not simply Jesus the Messiah, but Jesus the Savior of the world. Remember, when, when Joseph found out that his fiancée Mary was expecting a baby, he was shaken by that news, shocked, as any of us would be when, when given that news. With the information that he had, he thought, all right, what I'm going to do is divorce her, divorce her quietly. But as you remember the story, an angel showed up to, to Joseph, and in the night said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Do you remember when the shepherds were watching their sheep on that, on that first Christmas night? The angels came, the sky lit up with angels, and the one angel spoke to them and said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He has come to save his people from their sins. A Savior has been born. Who moved into the neighborhood? A Savior. That's what the angel said. That's what Christmas is all about. The Savior, the Savior moved into the neighborhood. You know, most Christmas movies really don't make that the focal point of Christmas or, or the message of Christmas. Last night, Carl and I, just last evening, we watched some Christmas movie on Netflix. It was terrible, really. It was Santa ended up stealing a car, landing in jail. I don't, I don't even know the name of it. It was, just, it was just a crazy, dumb waste of an hour and 48 minutes of our life. But with no apologies, even to, you know, uh, Bing Crosby. This week, I start early. I'm an early riser, and so I started working on this sermon Monday morning at about 5 in the morning. It was still dark outside. And so I started working on it, and... And as morning broke and this light started coming, I'm working on my kitchen table. And as morning broke and the light came in, I saw outside what had happened during the night on, on Monday morning. Uh, there was snow all over my, my lawn, all over my picnic table, every place I looked. And so with no apologies to being Crosby, you know, I, I don't, I'm not dreaming about a white Christmas. You live in Michigan, you're supposed to be used to it. I don't care, I'm not dreaming about a white Christmas, I don't like it. So no, apolog- I mean, no apologies to, you know, uh, uh, A Christmas Story, which I love that movie. Christmas is not about getting a Red Ryder BB gun or a leg lamp or whatever you prefer. Uh, that's not what Christmas is about. And with no apologies to Elf, and I love Elf, uh, you know, the, the four... Food groups, candy, candy corn, candy cane, syrup. I, with no apologies, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is not a singing loud for all to hear. Some of you shouldn't do that. With no apologies to any of those. With no apologies to Jimmy Stewart. It's not about even having a wonderful life. With no apologies to, to, to Scrooge or Dr. Seuss and the Grinch. It's not even about not being a greedy person, although you, though you shouldn't be a greedy person. With no apologies to a Christmas vacation. Should I admit that I like that movie? It's really a staycation. It's not really a vacation. They say at the house, but it's not about uh, having your house lit up as much as it can be and trees and families and, you know, the cat getting fried in the tree. None of those things. That's not what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Savior who came into the world to save us from our sins. That's what Christmas is about. 
in my last church, we did something similar to what we do here. We um, get Christmas gifts for the needy, needy children. Usually we have a big angel tree deal, which you can still give. That's in your catalog. You can still give to that. But there, what we would do is um, we would collect the names of all the needy kids, and we didn't have a party and things like what we've done here for Angel Tree. It was just a day set aside. Two ladies really ran the whole program, a lady named Sylvia and a lady named Becky. Which incidentally, crazy enough, Becky's mother-in-law, uh, uh, when she's able, attends our church, a small little Nazarene world. Anyway, Sylvia and Becky ran that program. And, and we, so we'd, we'd give away hundreds, hundreds of gifts, and they put all the gifts in a room. They were all separated by families. And the deal was people were to take the names, kind of like we did off the tree, but we'd have the names of the children and their age and some of the things that they would want, uh, the Christmas wish list on the, on the list. And so people were to fill out, you know, buy the gifts and fill out a, 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 a Christmas tag on the present that said who it was to, the child's name, you know, Rob, whatever, but leave the from blank. So that when the parents or the guardians would come and pick up the presents, they could, they could write in there whoever they wanted. You know, if they wanted to put in, that church was also Central Church. If they wanted to put in Central Church of the Nazarene, they could. If they wanted to put in, you know, uh, mom and dad. If they wanted to put in, I know kids are in here today. If they wanted to put in somebody else, wears a red suit, wink, wink, they could. So that was, that was the whole deal. Well, and I should tell you this part of the story. <laughs> Kansas City is located on 35. Um, Highway 35 that goes from the Mexican border all the way up to Minneapolis. And so there's a huge Hispanic uh, population in Kansas City um, because, you know, they just kind of travel up and they stop in Kansas City. It's a nice place. And so that's, there's a huge, huge, huge. We had a Spanish congregation. Many churches did in our own church. So all I'd say, we had this big room filled with gifts and the people would come in and they would tell their name. They'd be greeted by Sylvia and Becky at a table and then tell them their name and they would go in the back room because we didn't want everyone to see all the gifts that were there. So they'd go in the back room and get the gifts, bring them out to the people. Very simple procedure. Well, this one guy came in. He had four kids. He's Hispanic. He had uh, Manuel, Jose, Maria, and Jesus. And so he came in, gave his name, and they went, one of them, I can't remember if it was Dr. Sylvia, went in the back to get the gifts. Well, they got back there and there was a mistake. All the gifts were for one kid, Jesus, every single one. And so there was like a crisis in the gift room. This guy came for four, he's got four kids, Maria, Jose, uh, Manuel, and, and Jesus, but only Jesus had gifts. And so they're trying to open up the packages a little bit to see if there's some gifts that maybe they could give to Jose, maybe they could give to Manuel, you know, and they didn't know what to do. And so I can't remember if it was Becky or Sylvia, she came out and got the other one and said, you know, we've got a problem. So they went back there. And when she got back there, she realized that there was a mistake, but the mistake wasn't in the person who, well, the person who, who bought the gifts made a mistake. You weren't supposed to put anybody in the from and only put in the name on the two, so, but she put in the from. And so the gifts weren't to Jesus, they were from Jesus. <laughs> that was a big difference. And there was another tag on the bottom that said which kid actually got it. So all the kids got their gifts. But the point was, the person from our church who... who who messed up the whole system, but really didn't have bad theology. Because what they were saying was, these gifts, everything, 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 it's all from Jesus. It's not from us, it's not from Central Church, it's from Jesus, it's from Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what Christmas is about. It's about the Savior of the world who came in. I suppose the question that we could ask is, well, what, what does the Savior do? What, what do I need to be saved from? 
What do I need to be saved to do? So let's dig into that. Matthew told Joseph that he wasn't to name his son, you know, Joseph Jr. That's what happens a lot. I'm Robert Samuel Prince Jr., named after my dad. But he was to name him Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people from their sins. Sin in the New Testament, the word sin is hamartia. That's what the word is usually meant. It's an archer's term. It's, it's meant for when you pull back the bow and you, and you fling your arrow. And if you miss the mark, if you don't hit the, 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 the bullseye, hamartia. And so sin is missing the mark. It implies that there is a mark that you're supposed to hit. There is a, a, a road you're supposed to travel. There is a way you're supposed to live into. That's, that's the implication in hamartia. There's a mark, you missed it. So what's the mark? We were made, you and I, to live holy lives. We were made to be compassionate and giving and forgiving and kind. We were made, what did Jesus say? You were made to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. That's what you were made, that's what you were created to do. But Hamartia, we missed the mark. Instead of loving God with all our heart, we, we love God with maybe a little bit. All our strength, a little bit. Um, all our mind and soul, you know, we give them what we can. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, not as ourselves. Well, our neighbor's okay, but I don't know. And too frequently what happens is, as we miss the mark, the, really the, the definition of missing the mark is we become inward focused. We become self-centered. We begin to think that we are the center of the universe, that our favorite people are me, myself, and I. More marriages have been destroyed because someone or both start thinking of me instead of we. That's our matia. We miss the mark. Jesus, the Savior of the world, came so that we might hit the mark. Jesus didn't just come to save us from our sins. Yes, of course he did. He came not just to, to clean up our messes. Oh boy, I'm Mr. Harmatia. You know, Harmatia is my name. Missing the mark is my game. You know, I'm sorry, Jesus, I did it again. Jesus came not only just to, to save us from those misses, Jesus came to transform us so that we would hit the mark. Not simply clean up our messes when we miss the mark. I want to hit the mark. I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to be the person that God created me to be. One who is filled with the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all those things. I want to hit the mark. See, Jesus came not simply to, to, to save us from our sins, but Jesus came to save us so that we might hit the mark, so that we might live for God, so that we might live holy lives. Hit the mark. So when we say that Jesus moved into the neighborhood, it means that Jesus came to not only save us from our sins, but save us too, to empower us to be the people of God. I like the way John describes it. Remember, John doesn't tell any of the birth narratives, the Gospel of John. There's no angels, no shepherds, no wise men, nothing like that. In fact, he begins his story of Jesus when Jesus uh, moves into the neighborhood in Galilee, begins his ministry. And John the Baptist is baptizing people along the Jordan River, and Jesus comes by. And do you remember what John says? The very first words, his first encounter with Jesus, they're cousins, but his first encounter in this instance in John's gospel. I like the way the King James Version reads it. It says, Behold, the Lamb of God, 
who, takes away, who taketh away the sin of the world. I like, I like the word behold. I don't know, maybe it's just me. We don't say it too much. I guess that's why it's King James English, you know, behold. I, I want to say, behold, Lady Carla, your prince has arrived. You know, it just sounds great. But she doesn't think it's that great. But behold, you know, we don't say it. But, 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 but the King James Version, behold, take notice. You know, if it was a courtroom, hear ye, hear ye, Jesus has arrived. He, he could have said many things. You know, again, they were really, he could have said simply that, behold, it's Jesus. That would have made it very easy for everyone to understand. Or, or later, he says, he calls Jesus the Son of God. So he could have said, behold, it's the Son of God, let's bow down and worship. Or he could have said, hey, it's my cousin, hey, Jesus, high five, great to see you, glad you could come out to the Jordan River today. But he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Only John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He does it twice, here and in in verse 36, just down the road. John would have clearly understood what the Lamb, what he was saying. Remember, his daddy was a, a priest, Zechariah. Which meant that Zechariah, on occasion would be the priest in charge of the sacrificial system in Jerusalem. Every day, twice a day, they would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. Every day, twice a day, they would go and they, they would, uh, a priest, sometimes it would be Zechariah, would go to the altar in the temple, sacrifice that lamb for the sins of the people. So John the Baptist clearly understood what he was talking about when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the people. Behold, the one who's come to take away our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God. You know, there's two other places that it's used in the New Testament. Only there, uh, only John, I said, called him the Lamb of God. The other two places that it's used in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 8 and 1 Peter chapter 1, and both times the Lamb there is referencing back to Isaiah 53. Do you remember Isaiah 53? I'll tell you, all of John the Baptist's listeners on the Jordan River would have known Isaiah 53. We always read Isaiah 53 in our Good Friday service. My two favorite services of the year are Christmas Eve service and Good Friday service. Christmas Eve is the, seri- uh, is the service of light. You know, We'll be handling our candles, and it will be the service of light, and I hope you sign up. We can only have so many people in the building, and if we have to add a third service, you need to sign up quick so we can know what to do. I love that service. I love Christmas. I love Good Friday too. Good Friday service. We couldn't have it this year. Mark your calendars. April second, twenty twenty one. Good Friday. We will have it this year. A Good Friday service. We get. We bring out that big cross that my friend Jim Knock made. It takes eight people to set it up, and we put it right here. And 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 there's no the the people who are singing. They're not on the platform or they're on the platform, but we hide them behind a curtain. And, and the people who are reading the scripture aren't seen, and, and the preacher isn't seen, no one is seen but the cross, just that giant, huge cross. And that service gets darker and darker and darker throughout the service, tenebrae service. By the end of the service, we're in darkness. And we've read Isaiah 53 throughout that service, most generally. And that's, that's the passage that, that reads this way. He took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him smitten by God, 
smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Behold the Lamb of God. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb. There it is, the Lamb of God, to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. See, the context that John the Baptist is talking about is right here, Isaiah 53. No one would have missed it. The Lamb of God has taken on the sins of the world. The Lamb of God has taken on the harmatia, all of us who have missed the mark. And John is saying, that's why Jesus came. He came to carry our sorrows. He came to carry our pain and our wounds and our hurts. And he was smitten. He was afflicted. He was crushed. He was punished. He was wounded. He was oppressed. He was slaughtered. That's what it means to be the Lamb of God. This isn't some little nursery rhyme. Oh, you know, little lamby. This isn't, when, when John is saying this, he isn't saying he's the Lamb of God. He's one of, you know, the sheep in God's pasture. That is not it. He's the Lamb of God. He came to die. Why did he come to die? He came to die for my sins and your sins. And the angel said, good tidings, glad joy for all people, a Savior. The same good news that the angel came to Joseph. You're going to give him the name, not Joseph Jr., but Jesus. Why? He's going to save his people. Who moved into the neighborhood? The Savior. The one who came to save us from our sins. Listen, if Jesus is who he says he is, the Lamb of God, he's the only one who went to the cross. Not not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anyone else. Jesus. And Jesus had the audacity to say, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of us have missed the mark, every single one of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us, all of us are in trouble. The wages of sin is death. Every single one of us needs a Savior, not just to save us from our sins, but to transform us into the people of God. I think it's interesting. This is John chapter 1 when Jesus encounters John the Baptist at the Jordan River. John 1. This is before Jesus, you know, turned the water into wine, fed 5,000 people, uh, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, you can imagine that John would have said that. Behold, it's the Lamb of God. Look at man, he he turned the water into wine, he fed 5,000 people, he even raised Lazarus from the dead. Of course, of course, of course, he's the Savior of the world. Oh, this is before all of that. So I think, I think it took a, 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 a leap of faith, if you will, from John the Baptist. Say, this is the one. This is the one who has come. This is the Lamb of God. Behold, he's going to take away the sins of the world. And I guess what I'm asking you this morning is to do the same thing. To look to Jesus And if you've never, ever accepted him, Jesus has moved into the neighborhood, the Savior's moved into the neighborhood, but if he's never moved into you, then like John the Baptist, take that leap of faith and say, behold, the Lamb of God, I need Jesus. I need this one who came into the world. 
I'm tired of missing the mark over and over and over again. I'm tired of saying, all right, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm gonna... we... It doesn't work that way. We always mess up. No, I need a Savior. I need a Savior who will forgive me from the, the sins, but also empower me to not continue to re- repeat the same sins over and over and over again. Jesus has the audacity to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anyone comes to the Father, it's got to be through me. And Jesus looks at us like he looked at, at Martha in John chapter 11 and square in the eye and says, do you believe it? Do you believe I am who I say that I am? Do you believe it? It's coming to the place of saying, I need Jesus. I need him in my life. Let me tell you about a guy named Bill. Bill went to church. Um, not because he wanted to go to church. He went there. He wasn't particularly religious, but his wife wanted him to come to church. And she was happier when he was in church. And she didn't nag him when he was in church. And so he would come to church. He would sit there. He would take up space. And when uh, you know the songs were being sung, sometimes he'd kind of mumble along. And when the preacher preached... Sometimes he'd pay attention, sometimes he'd make his to-do list, and, and you know, it was a good arrangement, really, because for one hour of his week, um, he didn't have to endure, you know, a week long uh, of his wife begging him to come to church, and so it just, it just worked out fine. Again, he, he wasn't particularly religious, it just is what he did on a Sunday morning. Well, a wrench got thrown into Bill's plans. And the wrench was that his wife, Sharon, was diagnosed with cancer. And, and, and the doctors weren't overly optimistic. And so Bill, <laughs> I mean, there's one thing, Bill was a tough cookie. But one thing in the world, there's two, two important things you need to know about Bill. One, the one thing you need to know, he loved his wife, Sharon, more than anything. And the second thing about Bill was he was incredibly honest and so he called up the pastor of Sharon's church he refused to call it his church because he just was taking up space so he called the pastor of Sharon's church and said can we meet and he he said pastor I got a problem said, my wife Sharon I love more than anything it's pretty sick And the way I figure it, only God can help her. God's the only one. And the pastor said, well, you're you're probably right, Bill. God's the only one. He goes, that's my problem. He said, I I have had no use for God in my entire life. I've never talked to him about anything. Everything I've gotten, I've gotten on my own. He said, it just doesn't seem right that now that I'm faced with this situation that I cannot repair that I would go and ask him for any... I don't deserve him to listen to me. I haven't talked to him my entire life. Why would he listen to me now? I don't deserve it. The pastor was a very wise man. He looked Bill straight in the eye. He said, Bill, there's not one thing that I've done in my life that deserves Jesus listening to me either. But I'm so glad he does. And he'll listen to you. I'll make a long story short. Bill, that afternoon, 
kind of crossed over the line. He invited Jesus into his neighborhood, into his life. And the rest of the story is Sharon did, she did remarkably get better. And she lived several years after that. But here's the rest of the rest of the story. It wasn't a foxhole conversion in Bill's case. It wasn't just an a, 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 a inv- invitation to Jesus to come into his life and then after Sharon was better uh, or after she passed on, he you know, forgot about what he had promised to the Lord. No, 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 no. Bill was transformed. Instead of sitting in the back of the, of the church or trying to talk Sharon to sitting in the back of the church, now Bill's sitting on the second row. <laughs> and, when, and when a song is sung, and it talks about the grace and the mercy and the love of the Lord. Bill's the first one with his arm in the air. And he's singing. He can't sing, but he's singing as loud as he can. And now this tough guy who, who, who is just such a rough exterior. When he hears songs about the grace of God, crocodile tears come down. And he tells people, you know what? I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I never talked to God in my entire life. But when I did, he heard me. What I'm telling you is, maybe you're like Bill. Maybe you at home, you're like Bill. You're pretending not to listen, but you're listening. You know, it's on the TV and you're listening. Maybe you've never really accepted Jesus. You've never invited him into your neighborhood. You know about Jesus. You know the stories. Yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, born, raised, did miracles, died on the cross, resurrected on Easter. You know the stories. It's up in your head. But you don't know Jesus down in your bones. That's what I'm saying today. It's easy. I tell people at funerals all the time, it's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're Mr. or Miss Harmatia. You have missed the mark more times than you can count. Be, believe, believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the savior of the world. And see, like Bill, commit your life to him. When you do that, Jesus moved into your neighborhood, you'll experience the, the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the peace and the mercy of God Almighty in your life. It won't just be stories, it will be in your bones. 